Hey, this is Adam. This is Mike. And this is David. From Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover. We make a fortnightly video game podcast. Fortnite means every two weeks. Covering gaming news, game reviews. I give it five out of five tacos. And whatever crazy audience tweets come in. And sometimes celebrities like Arnold even stop by to sing karaoke. I love just like Buzzy Each episode, we feature one burning topic, game dev interview, or super guest friend from the world of gaming. Check us out on the HP Video Game Podcast Network or on sbfvgs.com. I don't care about that. Wow. This show is part of the RetroZap.com Podcast Network. Hey, yeah you! Did you know that Arcast is on Patreon? Go check out patreon.com slash Arcast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small such as being part of our patron-exclusive game giveaways, or join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Arcast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 148 of the Arcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is the man from Denver, Robert Workman. Well, compared to every other man from Denver, but yes, hello, everybody. <laughs> the only man in Denver. <laughs> yeah, everybody else just like abandoned the place and be like, yeah, you know what, yeah. <laughs> it's Mad Max Wasteland kind of style, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's getting high here, it's just too much, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got a good show this week. We're actually going to talk about games that kind of impacted us, because, uh, you know, in some of these games, they... They have this sort of emotional pushback. It's really great, like, how they're structured together. It, it, it can even be, like, you know, little key moments in the game or the game as a whole in general. We've got a great guest joining us this week, don't we, Dave? Yes, so with us is Bethesda's own Sean Baptiste. So how's it going there, Sean? Hey, guys, how's it going? It's going great. <laughs> I'm excited to talk with you guys. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You're, like, hanging in there at least until, uh, until like, Pax East rolls around, and we were, we were just talking about, actually, about, like, uh, about, about, like Bethesda's plans, actually, for, for like, Pax East, right? Yeah, which I can't, I, I can't, I can't say just yet. Ooh, but, uh, okay, secret, yeah, secret for now, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I try to pry it, pry it out of there, dude? David? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to say it like public we're, knowledge. We're gonna yet, have, yeah, we're gonna. Have, we have to say we'll have to wait an eternal time to find out. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Wow, I could have a marketing job in my future. Yeah, but although, although, there is something Paxis related though that we could talk about, Robert, which is in regards to to like a panel that we're doing, right? Yeah, what's going on? Apparently, Mike. Harris, uh, well, here's the funny part. Uh, we, we asked uh, if uh, McDonald's own Mike Harris, a, a, a guy I'm very familiar with, if you guys remember the whole Szechuan sauce episode, uh, 
basically he created the sauce. And ever since, you know, this whole thing where I sold the Szechuan sauce to Dead Mouse like a couple of years ago, he's gotten more involved in gaming and stuff. So we suggested him for a PAX East panel where he talks about like geeky foods and everything like that. And the panel's up and running and everything like that. But the problem is he failed to tell us if he was coming to PAX East or not. So, <laughs> oh, no. so now, I mean, he, he was he, like, honestly, like he was telling me that like he, he would, you know, he would come to PAX East if he had a reason to go. And so I told okay. him, it's like, well, if we get you on a panel, then maybe. So like that, you know, I just submitted like the panel that happened to be the panel that, you know, that got approved. So yeah, but no <laughs> yeah. pressure, right? No pressure at all. <laughs> but there's no pressure. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be able to join. But like, uh, you know, as far as I know, we are doing the panel. So definitely stay tuned for more, yeah. more information on that. Not to mention the fact that we still have that submittal in there too, about uh, just talking about retro games in general. Uh, yes. which with a number of us, including Evan Borgal and Christine Maloney, uh, Kristen Maloney, rather. Uh, we're still waiting on approval on a couple of things, but we will let you know what is going on with panels there. So we do have a lot going on at PAX, no matter which panel we end up on. And of course, we're going to be there getting interviews with people, high-fiving people that want to be part of the ARC podcast community. So it, it's going to be a great show. And of course, Sean will be there, but he doesn't say how yet. We'll let you know. But yes, yes. I will be on a panel, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing a panel about uh, with uh, Dan Hevia and a few other people about uh, influencers and publishers and streamers and hmm. YouTubers and um, how we all work together. That's awesome. How we talk to each other. So I think that's Saturday at 4 p.m. Yeah, Dan was online on Twitter. He's saying, well, thank God Paris won't be there from Gamer Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> but you know who I'm hoping will show up uh, there, David and Sean? I'm hoping Mortal Kombat 11 will show up so we can see Cabal and Devorah. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. these two characters have been revealed from Mortal Mortal Kombat 11. Cabal, of course, is a favorite that got initially introduced in, uh, I believe, Mortal Kombat 3, not Ultimate, mm-hmm. it was Mortal Kombat 3. And in Devorah, we're familiar with Mortal Kombat XL. So, I mean, it is just great to see both of these characters thrown in along with Kano and the other seven or eight characters that were revealed at the event I went to a few weeks ago. So, this cast yeah. is shaping up. You know, they're throwing in a bunch of old school favorites. They might throw in a few new faces like Garrus. And we still have yet to see who the guest star is going to be. Because you remember XL, they brought in everybody from Jason Vore he's to Leatherface to Alien to Predator and <laughs> yep. who I, I want Ash from the Evil Dead to show up personally but that's just me so. well I can tell you one thing it's not going to be Shaggy from Scooby-Doo because oh. um, during during that combat cast uh, they actually confirmed that like that is not going to happen but that they do pay attention oh. to what the fans are saying and all these like crazy internet petitions going around and stuff <laughs> and they've like poked fun at it like you know having fun with it certainly Ed Boon like on, on his Twitter like you know has been posting up like images and stuff and people you know having like fan art and stuff like for Shaggy being a Scooby-Doo um, but you know the, as far as we know and like you know as far as we, we you know that we've been told that's not going to happen um, uh, I, I would imagine to just like tonally, it would just be really odd to try to make that work. So, so it's almost like it's almost like Shaggy's the new Waluigi, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's like, oh man, he would have been great just knocking somebody in the stratosphere while saying zoinks, <laughs> like fatality scoops. <laughs> yeah, right. Even Matthew Lillard's been getting on in the social stuff. The dude who played him in the he totally did. Yeah, yeah, he's having fun with it too. That's amazing. It's like, man, he's back, isn't he? Well, that means I got to suit up. Well, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> if he did like the mocap for Shaggy in Mortal Kombat 11? That would be oh, insane. God. That, that'd, <laughs> that'd be, be so great. Good. That'd be great. Yeah. But uh, alas, no, no Shaggy. But the cast is coming together pretty nicely. And from what I played at the event a few weeks ago, it was a blast. So this will mm. definitely be one of those games to watch out for. And considering it's coming in April, I mean, I would not be surprised if WB Games had some sort of presence at PAX. That would be a big show to like showcase things and maybe give away a few. I mean, I know they had some serious swag 
like at the event. So I'd be mm-hmm. like, you never know what they're going to give away if they go to the show. I mean, or do like a character reveal there too? I imagine a couple of them. I mean, we've got the next few weeks to see who else fill in the cast. We have like what 13, 14 more slots to fill, not including yeah, guests. something like that. So yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of time to get some uh, to get some old school goodness in there. For sure, yeah. But um, honestly, the Cabal looks really, really awesome. Uh, like he, he definitely kind of feels like the old Cabal a bit, but um, certainly kind of switch him up a bit, like you know, for like the new game. Uh, I, I really like how one of his uh, costumes actually has him like before, like his skin got all like you know burned and whatnot in um, you know, Mortal Kombat Nine. So uh, it's a, you know it's just really neat to kind of like you know see him back and also see like the really gruesome fatality he had there too. I'm going to say which... that it's nothing short of a drag. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like honestly, it just kind of felt like if like the Flash got like a lot more violent and injustice, basically, yeah. <laughs> you know? it's just, it's just pretty nuts. Um, but yeah, def- definitely one to uh, you know t- to look out for. And um, another thing to look out for too is uh, is in the mod community actually for Resident Evil Two Remake uh, because like one modder here uh, actually played around with fixed camera angles in the remake, so basically kind of give it I guess more of the feel basically of the original game. Uh, which is really interesting, uh, especially when you look at the. Uh, there's like a video of like Claire in the uh, in like the orphanage, and like, yeah, it kind of plays around with like, the different camera angles being fixed. And when you get close to like the stairs, it's like right there, close to like the base of the stairs, and basically just kind of feels like old school RE2 in that case. So it's really neat. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty neat thing to add. I mean, I've been seeing all sorts of stuff that people have been adding to it. Uh, there's this one really great clip where uh, anytime Mr. X bursts into the room, DMX is X going to give it to you, plays. While <laughs> you down. That and, needs to be like the next mod, honestly. Yeah, yeah seriously, <laughs> we need a mod that just makes that happen because that's amazing. But the, these fans are having so much fun with this game, and the Resident Evil 2 remake is really def- defining what you can do with a classic game with the right team. It's just... It's, you know, it's earth shattering. It really is yeah. like how well they put this game together, you know, and who knows what they're going to add like down the road with it, too. I mean, who knows? Yeah. They could probably make this an official thing for the game if they up the team's talented enough. That's that's certainly an idea. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool just as kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like a free DLC kind of thing. Just add the option pretty much for fixed camera angles. Uh, I, I wouldn't personally use it myself because I like the way that the camera works right now in the remake. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it would be certainly kind of like it'd be like a cool thing, uh, you know, at least to kind of go along with because um, I think they also have like costumes that are going to be coming out where it's like the polygonal style, like Leon and Claire. Uh, from like the original game, uh, basically like skins for them. So, uh, so you know, be be kind of a cool thing to kind of collaborate with that. But Sean, I was, I was kind of curious if you played like the uh, you know the, the remake for RE2 at all. Uh, I haven't yet. I did play the uh, the demo for it, um, and I was very impressed with myself because I beat it in 17 minutes. Uh, you only had a half an hour, so very proud of myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so good. Um, I'm a big RE2 guy. Uh, that was one of the first games I bought when I got a PlayStation, the original PlayStation, big into it. Everything I saw in the demo, I just loved. I like the, I like that it, it has, uh, I mean, it was so familiar, but the, it, it felt very new and fresh and, um, yeah, really exciting. That love what they did. And I love that. I mean, RE4 is what really kind of like brought me back into the yeah. fold. And to like kind of mix those two things together was just real juicy. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, dive into that when I have a little bit more time. 
Yeah, and there's like talk too of like of, of them do, giving like the same treatment actually to uh, to RE3 as well. So uh, it'd be really mm-hmm. interesting to see what they do with that. Although I I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't scoff at a at an RE4 remake as well. Uh, I think that could be really really interesting, especially with like you know the visual like re, you know the, the visual upgrades and all that stuff. So um, yeah, it just looks so pretty. It really does. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I'll, I'll tell you why why stop with Resident Evil? I keep saying this: if they make Dino Crisis like this, holy shit! <laughs> that is what I secretly hope for, honestly. Yeah. And I I just kind of hope that that Capcom didn't completely forget about Dino Crisis. But I can only imagine if they gave like the remake treatment, just like how they did with you know with RE2, but with dinosaurs. I mean, well, come on now. It's <laughs> possible we forgot about Onimusha all these years and then we got like warlords last month so yeah with capcom you know we've talked about them in the past they're they're talking about beautiful joe they're talking about you know um bringing back uh, okami sorry um they're bringing back all these different franchises who knows where they're gonna you know dip their finger next as it were um it it could be anything i mean Mm -hmm. yeah everything from that that uh nintendo because that was the deal that capcom did with nintendo for the gamecube right where they signed over like there'd be like eight exclusives or something and everything from that that deal was golden Mm -hmm. like just everything from that was classic so yeah it'd be really interesting i think it's like resident evil zero and killer seven and like some other games i forget yeah killer seven was in there yeah and it got re-released on hd on steam so you never know that could come back to switch too so it's it's kind of nuts how all these great classics are coming back, and two more will be coming to the Switch as well next week. Uh, Nintendo has announced two more games coming to its Switch Online service. Uh, the first one is Super Mario Brothers 2. Of course, this is the game that kind of differs away from the usual Super Mario Brothers norm uh, because it's more based around Doki Doki Panic, but it's still a lot of fun. And, of course, Luigi's able to jump tremendous like the hulk like tremendous distances for (laughs) and then there's also kirby's adventure which is one of the best nes games out there i believe it's uh, the game that really brought him to the platform and it was filled with great adventure uh 20 unique trips or tricks and kirby's ability to steal enemies powers by swallowing them and digesting them that was it's the like, first game, like where he he had that ability actually, because I know in Dreamland he he um you know he, he was able to suck people in but not steal their powers. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a neat move, and uh, I think having both these games, you know, it's going to continue to grow the popularity of the Switch Online service. I know not everybody's crazy about it, but let's be fair; it's one of the cheapest values out there. It's like four bucks a month or twenty bucks for a year, so you can mm-hmm. do a lot worse. You can do a lot worse. So yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see how these two games turn out. Now, Sean, if you could have any NES game that's not currently on the Switch Online platform, which one would you choose? Karnov. Karnov. Okay. Yeah, Karnov. <laughs> uh, I am. I am trash for Karnov. Like I love Karnov. I have made videos of myself dressed as Karnov. Oh, I gotta see this. Like, Karnov now and stuff. Wow. I I am trash for Karnov. I want to make a Karnov movie. I was <laughs> there was like a few years ago uh, that I was actually trying to track down the rights for it, um, just to be like, I wonder if uh, how much it would cost me to just personally buy the rights to Karnov and just see what happens. Wow. Um, and then I it got to the point where I think I uh, somebody was like, well, I know the guy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> let's chat. That'd be fun. So yeah, I would, I, Karnov. If they could bring Karnov, I would, I would be, it'd be all I play, honestly. I'd probably not go to work. I'd just and you'd, you'd probably Karnov. You'd probably get like one of those mini bad dude cabinets just because Karnov's a boss in that. You know, just oh, yeah. oh without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt, yeah. and I'd get my red sweatpants or my tracksuit, and I just <laughs> wouldn't wear a mustache, shirt ever. You shave your you head. blow fire, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely blow fire. <laughs> <laughs> walking to walking to a Bethesda so. business meeting. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so if we see a Karnov short film during Sundance one year, then we'll know it's you in that case. It's <laughs> definitely me. Yeah, I'll have to just if I don't get the rights, I'll just change a few levels and be like Rarnov or something like that. <laughs> seriously, nice. you're gonna change your Twitter profile, Sean the Karnov. That'd be serious. <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna change his name after this episode's over, pretty much. So. That's right, that's right. Welcome. And uh, that's going to lead us into, into the next part of the show called What Do You Play? And we get some of the games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Sean, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Oh, I've been playing Apex Legends. Basically, mm. as soon as that press conference was over, I was on my phone in the PlayStation app, like, pre-download, getting, it, yeah. it, getting it downloaded <laughs> on there. As soon as I got home, I was playing it. And um, it's not it's not like a revolution for Battle Royale or anything, but it's just such a all the quality of life improvements. And it seems like the, also the community of people who are playing are just really nice. Like, it's just like, it feels um, a little bit more grown up in that way. Uh, the, my first several matches, I just got paired up with random people. I wasn't playing with friends or anything. That's got matched up. It was just like great people just hanging out, talking on the microphone, just having a great time and enjoying it. And um, yeah, it just, it just feels, it's a really fun game to play. So yeah. Cool. Part of me wants Titanfall 3, though. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do love Titanfall, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah, so. although I, I guess like it makes sense too, like for like EA to kind of uh, you know to push for this free to play model, and you know they can you know they could certainly see like the return on investment with it, especially like um, I think I think like um, Apex Legends actually already reached like over like a million um, a million users, I think, like who are like online like within the first couple of days. Hmm. You know, so yeah, like, they said that it was like two million in fourteen hours or something like that. Oh yeah, wow, that's crazy! So even more than yeah. So like yeah, it, it was it, something like that. Yeah, so it, it's it's a, it's a really impressive game, honestly, especially for for like a stealth release. And um, it, it really kind of makes you wonder like how long that they've been working on this because obviously this kind of came from them. Um, I guess like thinking about Titanfall three and then having to redo it in a way in order to make it work in this sort of weird like. I don't know hero shooter battle royale hybrid kind of thing because there's just you know th- th- there's definitely some like Overwatch involved there too with like the different mm-hmm. you know characters with their abilities and ultimates and all that stuff. Um, so that's kind of like what, what drew me in since I'm a big Overwatch guy. But um, I don't know like for for some reason like the battle royale like genre I guess just doesn't like really kind of hook me in I guess because like a lot of it's you know it's like kind of like running around trying to like you know grab as much loot as possible mm-hmm. um with very little action I guess happening and then when action does happen usually it only lasts for like a few seconds and then like you know <laughs> either either you're dead or they're dead and you you, you kind of keep going from the thrill of it but like a, a lot of time you're getting shot from like all sorts of different angles and you can't oh, really certainly. defend yourself so mm, certainly <laughs> yeah but um Robert like I know you played it too right yeah, I did. I, I suck at it. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> uh, it does have some components that are different from uh, from most um, battle royale shooters, which I kind of like. And Respawn Entertainment did do a great job with the graphics. You know, they, they, mm. they move very fast, mm. and the environment's very cool. But I, I think part of my problem is that the limitations with like you have to like dive in with your team. You know, you have to like stick around certain members of your team a certain time. And I don't know. I think it's just something I have to get used to. But, yeah, I mean, it's part it's of strategy, strategy for sure. Yeah, yeah it has. Its That's one of the parts that I like because it it like uh, reinforces the teamwork part, which yeah. is, I think is the thing that I like about it. Is mm-hmm. I mean, you could still on that dive thing uh, when you're diving in, 
uh, you can break away from your team. Mm-hmm. But I like how they sort of enforce that a little bit, or they they reinforce that to be like, no, 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 this is this is it's 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 a little bit different than those other games. Like the the squad is really important, and how you work together is really important. Yeah, it's different just from in like the same Bungie way Fortnite, Fortnite, it's about building yeah. and whatnot. So exactly, yeah, um, I I do like the team aspect of it. It's just a matter of like finding, I guess, like the right people to team up with in order to actually do that with. Dick <laughs> around. Oh, you could just die. That's fine. Go ahead and die. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So, um, Robert, what else have you been playing? Um, Well, I've been delving a little bit back into uh, Transformers Fall of Cybertron. Uh, this came out a nice. while ago for Xbox One and PS4, so I, I ended up somehow getting both versions on sale because I was able to buy it right before they delisted it, and I've just been diving back into it and having a little bit of fun with that. So I've been playing some of Transformers there, still working on Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove, still can't talk about it yet, but I assure you we will soon, and hopefully we can also get uh, Greg Johnson of Toe Jam and Earl fame on our show. Uh, I talked about yeah. the idea. We'll see what we could do about that. Uh, might even have a special giveaway, so stay tuned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've just been playing all sorts of different games here because I suddenly find extra time. I'll talk more about that later, but it's just, yeah, you know, just enjoying a few more games. I even dove, dove back into my Xbox 360 uh, and uh, been playing X-Men, the arcade game. Uh, which came Oh, out. nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It, it's a real tragedy that we don't even have this in Xbox One and PS4. Do you know how many people this would bring together with a six-player option? Like, seriously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Especially no, online and stuff, too. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, like, the, the, the transfer that was done by uh, Digital Eclipse on Xbox 360 and PS3 is excellent. You know, they, they look really good. The only thing that's changed with the home translation, the voices are different. They had to re-record the voices because I guess they didn't have the rights to the original voice actors. So, when the, you know, they oh. still the dialogue's still the same. But, you know, it's like, X-Men, welcome to die. Like, like they made it sound cheesier. Than the original. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, it's fine. It, it's still a great game and everything, yeah. but it just seems a little obvious. You're like, nothing moves the blob. Wait, that's not the name. <laughs> Who's reading Me this? and my brother used to just go around yelling that at each other. Nothing moves the blob. Like, play, like, nothing moves the blob. <laughs> Welcome love that. to it's die. Like my thing. It's so good. Oh god, I will, yeah, I love that. I love, yeah. I love that game. I, I yeah. think I think the most fun I had. I was like, I knew a few friends back in the day. We could play it, and he's like, "Hey, you better watch out. There's somebody else who's coming to dinner. Who? Wendigo. You know, and they're freaking. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, not Wendigo. No, no, no. You can't even. Oh, uh, you know who can eat at this table? Wendigo. And then we just continued on. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as what I've been playing, I've uh, been playing Resident Evil Two Remake. Uh, I actually beat uh, Claire's A campaign, so I, I went through it as uh, you know, as Leon and Claire in their A campaigns, and now I'm trying Leon B campaign, but under hardcore mode. And <laughs> the B campaign is already like you know, I, I can already tell that it's meant to be a tougher experience than than the and, you know than, than the A campaign, and then you know, adding hardcore mode on top of that with like the limited saves and like the tougher enemies and all that. Uh, just makes it balls to the wall hard. <laughs> it's ridiculous, uh, especially when Mister X like shows up as early as he does, and the fact that the main hall is overrun with zombies, so it's not even like a save area. Like there's no typewriter or like you know or, or like crate there or anything. Um, so the the, the the main hall is just meant to be just kind of like a place, another place to avoid, really, for the most part. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to see if I, if I can get through it under under like hardcore mode with the B campaigns. Uh, aside from that, too, uh, I've been playing a bit of City of Brass, which I am writing a review for for oh. NintendoEnthusiast.com. Uh, this is actually like a game made by um, someone who worked on like the Bioshock games, I believe. Like it has like a bit of like Bioshock mm-hmm. pedigree like attached to it. I know. Kind of mix it uh, with Prince of Persia there a little bit. Yeah, as far as like, the theme of it for sure. Yeah, so um, I- I'm definitely interested in um, you know, you 
kind of diving more into that. Like, I can't really say too much about it now without being, like, fair to it since, uh, you know, it is coming out soon. But uh, I should have my review up, uh, you know, on the day of this uh, of this episode being up. So, yeah. you, you, so you guys should be able to see that. And uh, I'm also playing through Toe Jam and Earl, but as Robert mentioned, we can't really say much about that yet. But it is coming out later this month, so we'll definitely be talking about it very soon. I do want to say this about City of Brass real quick. It's not for everyone. It's, it's sort of this game where you can go through levels and you can choose to either save and come back to it later or take a chance. But if you die, you go all the way back to the beginning. I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely got it's one definitely of those brutal. challenges. But, I mean, if, if you like you know, first-person combat, it definitely has a, a great vibe to it, I think. Just be prepared to die a lot. Because, yes, I mean, prepare for die. Yeah, prepare for die. I mean, the thing you don't understand, I mean, the enemies are bad enough, but you can walk over traps that can kill you, like, instantly. Like, these, like, floor pits. If you fall into one of those, you're dead. You know, you have spikes that come up. You have these little shooters on the side that shoot out sand at you that can hurt you. And it's really hard to see them on a small switch screen. I'll be honest. But, you know, mm-hmm. you play it on, like, you know, high definition, you've got a better chance of survival, kind of. <laughs> Dock that shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I do have a game code here to give away. Uh, so, this is a game code code actually for Dragon's Crown Pro. Uh, This is for PS4. Uh, So regardless if magic or steel is your fancy, Dragon's Crown Pro offers a variety of ranged and close combat options for this classic side-scrolling beat-em-up. Band together or journey solo as one of six playable classes and explore a winding dungeon with new adventures at every turn. So if that sounds like a jam, then definitely jump on this. Uh, Again, this is a PS4 code. The code is T-A-J-A-3-K-N-J- D D C X again. That's Dragon's Crown Pro on PS4. Enjoy. Welcome back to the stage of history. So with that, we have the stage of history, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot for better or for worse in the pantheons of history. So I figure since we're going to be, uh, you know, at least, at least in this episode anyway, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, the games that had like a great like impact on us. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll bring up some like very impactful games. Uh, starting off with Final Fantasy VI, which uh, surprisingly enough I did not have in the stage of history list because I like to kind of keep track of what we covered already, and we we didn't cover this for some reason. So, uh, so Final Fantasy VI is a nineteen. 19- RPG by Square. It was originally released as Final Fantasy III in North America since it was the third game localized. It was the first game in the franchise directed by someone other than series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi. And when talking about the English localization, translator Ed Woolsey stated, quote, there's a certain level of playfulness and sexuality in Japanese games that just doesn't exist here in the USA, basically because of Nintendo of America's rules and guidelines, which uh, we <laughs> certainly know like, from back then for sure. Um, but Sean, I imagine you played some Final Fantasy VI, right? Oh yeah, uh, and uh, well, so I was big into the first, like Final Fantasy, like the first Final Fantasy. Mm, yeah. Um, and then I didn't play another Final Fantasy game until Final Fantasy VII came out. Oh wow. Um, okay. Uh, was there like, like a reason for that? that really? Or? Uh, I just was in, you know, I was in high school. I had kind of like I wasn't gaming a lot at the time mm. uh, or playing different games. I was playing a lot of well, id games for the most part. Um, so I was playing, you know, more as that stuff, like Wolf and Doom and the such and Quake. Um, and then, so I just, but I didn't really game a whole lot. I was more into theater and everything. Oh yeah. So, um, (laughs) but so, uh, when Final Fantasy VII came out, I was like, wow, this is incredible. And of course, as soon as I beat that 90 times, I went back and (laughs) played through everything, uh, I had missed. And yeah, I played through the original and and then the remaster, the, cause I think that the, I played mobile version. Too. I think I like I played the mobile version as well. So yeah, I think it's been on yeah, like on, like iOS like since then too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a fantastic game for sure. Yeah. And Robert, I know you're not like a big like RPG guy, but have you tried this out? 
Um, I played a little bit of it. It's just, yeah. I mean, at the time, I was more into, like, you know, platformers and stuff like that. So I didn't really get as deep into this as I wanted. But, I mean, one of these days when I get back into kind of a mood, I'll definitely jump back in. Because, you know, they did a modified version for PlayStation. They did one for Game Boy Advance. And I'm sure somewhere down the line, we'll get some sort of port for Switch as well. So it's just a matter of time. But, yeah, when it, when it came out, I think I was just more into other games at the time. And yet I felt like I missed something because a lot of people were like, oh, and it has these great moments and it's really great. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I have the patience for that. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely have to have, you know have to have the patience for like just like an RPG in general for sure. But if you're gonna play like any you know any RPG out there, uh, you can't go wrong with Final Fantasy VI. So um, I, I like what's funny enough actually is that um, I never played this growing up, and I tried playing like the PlayStation One version, I believe on Vita. No, no, it was on, on PS3. I, I was trying playing on, on the PS3 from the um, was it like cross platform play or whatever. Um, but uh, it was uh, I don't know for, for whatever reason. I, I I couldn't finish it. Like I think I got to the part where um there's like the opera house boss fight with the uh what was it that that monster with like the kind of like the big gnarly teeth. Like it almost looks like Baraka, but like just as a blob, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I got to that part and I just got like so stuck that like I ended up just kind of like putting the game down. I just never went back to it. Uh, so I, w- I would like to try to like start like a new game and actually play through it again, uh, so, yeah, especially since it is on the SNES Classic and it's very easy like for me for me to play that right now. So um, I would like to go back to it at some point. Um, but one game I definitely did play through is Shadow of the Colossus, which is our next game here in, this, in the stage of history. Uh, so this is a 2005 action-adventure game by SCE Japan Studio and Team Eco. It has been described as a puzzle game since the core gameplay revolves around figuring out weak points to take down each Colossus. It is often regarded as an important example of video games as art due to its minimalist landscape designs, immersive gameplay, and emotional journey. And it plays a role in the movie Rain Over Me as a way for Adam Sandler's character to cope with his personal struggles. And uh, I, I, like, I know like with that movie, because I, I absolutely love that movie. Like, I, I don't know if you saw it, Sean, but... Um, uh, I haven't. You haven't? Okay, so basically, like, his character had... Uh, he, like, he like lost his uh, wife and child to 9-11, and so playing um, playing Shadow of the Colossus, like whenever he takes down like a Titan uh, or like the, uh, the like Colossus anyway, it reminds him of like the towers kind of falling and stuff. So it's, it oh, wow. actually plays like a pretty significant role in the movie, even though you, you only see it like a few times. But um, it's like one it's one of the like, you know, one of those like scenes where you see like he's clearly playing Shadow of the Colossus like with his friend Don Cheadle. And like there's guys just playing it together. It's, <laughs> it's just a nutty scene, but like it's really cool to see. I didn't realize that that's now my dream is to play Shadow of the Colossus with Don Cheese. <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's now my goal in life. Life goals, yes. <laughs> uh, so I imagine you 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 um, you've played this yourself though, right? Yeah, I mean, I played through it uh, a couple different times. I, I played through the original Team Eco version, which is remarkable in its own right. But then, then you take a look at like what Blue Point Games did with the remake. Yeah this last this past year and they did amazing work like they took a game that was already you know critically heralded and they made it somehow even better with improved controls uh beautiful 60 frames per second animation on playstation 4 pro um just it just i didn't think it could be improved upon because when it had come out for playstation 3 i thought it was really something in terms of its size and its scope and and the work that eco did on it you know but then you know like i said blue point just comes in and they just make it theirs 
And it's kind of shocking how they did that. You know, like they, they didn't take the formula out of Team Eco's hands. They just took what great work they did and they improved upon it in a number of ways instead of, you know, like, you know, just simply putting together a paint job. Oh, yeah, it's high definition. Oh, we're done. <laughs> they didn't do that. Uh, so it really, you know, both ways, it, it feels like a terrific game that's worth playing through. Like you can get the PS4 version now for like 20 bucks, but you can also hunt down like um, the PS3 version through like the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus collection. And that's really the best way to own the game because it pays tribute to both those classics in their original form which i thought was really well done so of course there's always the playstation 2 version as well i think it's not (laughs) too expensive but yeah i mean there's a number of ways to play this game but no matter which way you go i think you're in for a remarkable emotional experience it's really something and that's gonna lead us now into obscura Speaking of emotional experiences, I know <laughs> we've had we've had this we've had this argument in the past where if a game came out in like 2006 or 2008 or something like that or just a few years ago, it's not really considered retro, and I, I can kind of understand that. But by the same token, there are games that have come out a few years ago that aren't as highly popular as they could have been, and one of those games is the 2012 release Spec Ops: The Line. Uh, this came out from the developers at Jaeger Entertainment and published by 2K Games. It was originally published uh, to kind of get into the third-person shooter market because it definitely had like the kind of perspective that you get from a military shooter. But as you get more into the story, um, you start to realize things are a little bit different. I mean, that's not to say the game isn't filled with action. It is. It has, you know, single player and has multiplayer, but it's a story that I think stands out. Um, It follows a soldier by the name of Walker. Uh, Basically, they're trying to go into Dubai to find um, rogue soldiers uh, who are membered uh, with a different legion, and they're trying to figure out what happened with him. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but let's just say it's not a conventional story. You know, there's stuff that really ties in there that, that takes an emotional toll on people. I mean, and not that it's going to destroy you, but it's just... It's remarkable. Like we've seen all these first-person shooters. Oh, let's get them for vengeance, you know, or, yeah. or something like that. And and the motives are just so free and clear. That's not the case with Spec Ops. I think with Spec Ops, they, they took a different route and everything. But the, see, again, it kind of took its toll. You know, Jaeger decided not to move forward on the development of a sequel because it, it wasn't as well-received as many people were hoping. Critics loved it, and the fans who played it loved it. And, you know, it did kind of get a second chance at life when it got Xbox One backward compatibility. But compared to other 2K releases, it was considered a commercial failure. And I don't know. I think as a result, I mean, that might be part of the reason why we're kind of fading over into, like, more multiplayer-oriented fare and not so much single-player. Yeah, well, especially with the like, like success of those games, for sure, like with loot boxes and all that stuff yeah i I, and then it's a changing of the guard sort of deal because i mean like uh, even if this did offend some people this this game was actually offend uh banned in the united arab emirates because that's right the way (laughs) the way it depicted the people in dubai but all the same i mean we don't see too many games take an emotional gamble anymore i mean obviously there are exceptions to the rule let me just say Wolfenstein 2, and not just because we have a Bethesda guy in the show (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's just lately it seems like we're kind of shying away from games that make it feel like an experience. And, and this one to me just really felt so different and so cool. And especially with all the multiple endings, like there's so many different directions it can go depending on the endings. And, I won't, and again, I won't spoil it, but it's just, it's really a great game. You know, I mean, like the action's fun enough as it is, but being able to like, you know, go through on FUBAR difficulty. They, they literally have a difficulty called FUBAR. So they got <laughs> Tango and Cash fans, but uh, it, it's just really something like how it's managed, managed to keep single player, multiplayer, and a great telling story. 
So I really, you know, I know it's not super retro, but it is a few years old. So I wanted to throw that out there. And I think this game has, still has that good emotional impact. And we mm-hmm. really don't see in games that much. Oh, it hurts. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly a cult classic for sure. But um, yeah, Sean, um, please, please tell us about your experience playing Spec Ops. Yeah, please. Spec Ops is just, it's one of those games that, yeah, you, you don't even really see it coming. Even if you're told about it, you're still not really prepared for the emotional toll. Um, that it could take on you. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier. One of the things is the loading screens openly start mocking you. Yeah. Um, it, they, they, they start really making you think about what you've done and then judge you on what you've done. Um, and it, it, in a way that's... Uh, normally, you would never do that in game design. You yeah. would never judge your players that way. Um, but it, it does because that's kind of the point of the game and there, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it really, it really is brilliant. It really is a brilliant game. It's that realistic part of war, I guess, that a lot of these military shooters just don't even dare touch really, I feel like, cause otherwise like a lot yeah. of, you know, your, your call of duties or battlefields, like they're, they're kind of like going into like, I guess like the, uh, I guess like the spoils of war, like the victory and like the thrill of like taking down like, you know, like a bunch of enemy soldiers like in front of you and stuff. Uh, but with this, it's just more of like, oh yeah, like, you know, you're, you're here for a particular mission, but things don't go quite as planned. And, you know, all of a sudden there's like a whole village like in front of you with like innocent people like who are dead or whatever it might be. And it's yeah. just really, it really sinks in that emotional resonance really with you. It just, you know, really, really kind of like takes the time. I feel like to tell its story and with like what would otherwise be like the most bland um video game character ever is kind of like you know shaved head like white guy whatever and, and also voiced right. by nolan north of all people too um uh, so <laughs> that's like another like thing that you can kind of consider i guess like a knock on it since he like he voiced everyone pretty much at that time um yeah. but it it just still was able like just the emotional resonance of, of like the story with the characters what they go through and what happens in the ending of that game which we certainly won't spoil but uh, it's just like a game that you absolutely have to experience for yourself, and it's, it's it truly is like a cult classic. It's I'll say it's it's up there uh, for me, like along with um, what's it called um, that like post apocalyptic game, like where where you play as um, was it monkey and like the red haired girl enslaved enslaved enslaved. Yeah, enslaved, yeah, oh, the West. that was yeah. a really good one too from that yeah. era, and it too wasn't really that popular. But I was looking over the voice cast for this game along with Nolan North. We had uh, Bruce Boxleitner from Tron fame. He oh, played wow. uh, Colonel John Conrad. Here's a trippy one. You guys. You guys remember the rap group uh, Kid and Play? Oh yeah, of uh, course. Christopher Reed. I just Reed. posted a picture Chris- during the Kid and Play dance. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. So Christopher Reed, who is part of that duo, he played First Lieutenant Alfonso Adams. No mm. way. So there he's we go. A good, he's a really good voice actor. He really is. He's really he's done good. a bunch of things. He's, yeah, uh, that he kind of parlayed his career into that. Yeah, That's you great. know, and he doesn't. He doesn't have the hair anymore either. I don't think he does. Anything <laughs> it's true. Truth it's true. I, I, I kind of missed that though. That was fun hair back yeah. then. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's just really remarkable, like how much quality they poured into this game. And it, it didn't sell well because I guess it took a different approach from other military shooters, even though it had the components mm-hmm. to make it a good military shooter. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of a sad state of affairs. Like, you know, nobody's really going to take a chance on a game like this again. I mean, there, there are people who are still going to tell stories and games, obviously, but none with this kind of impact, I don't think, because I don't know, because for some reason it doesn't sell or either that or by the time people realize just how great a game it is, it's either too late or they moved on to something else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll admit that, I, that that you know that I played this like after like its release, like you know like a few months I'd say like after its release, and it's, it's mainly because like on paper it just looked like the most generic, bland military shooter that there is. 
Um, but it truly is a game like where once you start playing and once you start understanding what it is that the developers are doing with this game, then that's when it really hits you, and then that's when it really kind of sinks its, uh, its its teeth into you. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just I'd bring that up for this week's Obscura. Uh, definitely check it out if you can. Again, it's backwards compatible on Xbox One. You can buy it digitally for fifteen bucks. I think it's very much worth it. And if I recall correctly, I believe the online multiplayer still works too. So mm. you do get oh, cool. some bang for your buck along there with you the, go. the emotional impact. And that's going to lead us now to our main topic, which is going to be talking about the games that changed us or, or like have like a big impact on us, basically. Um, so, Sean, I wanted you to kind of lead us off on this since basically we, we, we <laughs> came up with this topic when you and I were just kind of just, you know, just like talking about like, you know, having you on the show at some point. We were thinking, like, well, what, what can we talk about that's, you know, that's not like Bethesda or whatever? Um, and, you know, this is kind of the topic that, that we came up with. And you brought up a very, very cool, obscure game that I think only very few people will actually remember. <laughs> yeah, this... Uh, I, I, you know, I follow a lot of people on Twitter and, you know, you sort of been in the industry for a while. That's kind of the people you talk to on Twitter and everything. I posed a question because I just wanted to know what games, um, you know, was the thing that kickstarted that, 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 that passion that made them think, uh, what was the game? Not necessarily the first game they loved, the first game they played, but the first game that made them want to be part of this industry in the first place, you know? And, um, for me, because I can vividly remember for me what it was, because I'd played other games. You know, my my grandfather used to bring me down to Salisbury Beach, and I used to hit up all the arcades when I was a little kid. And this was at the height of arcade, uh, like er- like everything in the arcades. I would go play Pac Man, Ms. Pac Man, mm, the Golden you know, everything, yeah, right, like Death Race, uh, <laughs> um, like one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, um, I covered that all on the show. I remember for like, I think like most controversial games. <laughs> yeah. We, in the, yeah. In Salisbury beach, they actually had one of the ones cause that, that arcade cabinet got recalled. Yeah. Um, and this was the day too, when you'd, you'd have like the cocktail cabinets where you'd sit down and you'd look down. They were, they were horizontal as opposed to vertical cabinets and they would have like an ashtray and like a place <laughs> to put your beer. And you know, I'm, six yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was like also it was like that that's what it was like back in the day Mm -hmm. and you know um i think one of the first games i ever really loved was zork um Mm. even when i was like little little i was obsessed with that game because you just just type shit in and see what would happen sure (laughs) so i was fascinated with that game but the game that kind of changed me is my dad brought home um so this would have been 1985 ish um and so i was like about eight years old, seven, eight years old. And uh, my dad brought home an Atari 800 XL computer. Um, so this wasn't, this wasn't the, you know, this wasn't like an Atari. This wasn't like the 2600 that you just, you know, that you connected to your TV. It wasn't a console. It was an actual computer. And graphically, it was kind of the most impressive one um, for the time. It was really, really incredible. And there was this game that he just brought home with it um that was called rescue on fractalus um and this game is kind of incredible it's 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 when i was a kid i thought it was a star wars game mm. i thought this was just i was like oh cool a star wars game because when space you turn it's on space and but when you turned it on the first thing that would pop up was lucasfilm mm-hmm. presents oh yeah because yeah. <laughs> uh this was the first 
Lucas game. This was uh, this and um, oh, uh, oh, God, I can't. What was the name of it? I got to remember it's um, Blazeball. Mm, and yeah. um, so so those two were debuted at this at this uh, at they had a press conference and everything. And these were the two things that would eventually become LucasArts. But uh, Rescue on Fractalus is this really interesting game. Uh, you are a pilot. Uh, so it's a flight sim in a sense. And uh, you are flying towards all of these mountains that are fractals. Um, they're built using fractal technology. That's why they call it uh, Rescue on Fractalus. And there's these little jaggies. That's the name of the aliens that are these things that fire at you as you go across. Hmm. Um, so you've got to try to fire back at them, take them out, stop them from hitting you. You have control over your shields and your engines. You have an altimeter. Um, so you can know how high you are. And there's parts where there's also a day and night system <laughs> for a game that came out in 85 or 84, 85. That's crazy. Yeah, that like that's 84. a, that's a, that's not a thing. <laughs> no. That's like not a thing that happened. So there's like a day night system. And when it's night, it's cr like, it's, you don't have headlights. You're not seeing things. You can't just turn on your infrared. It is very, very difficult to maneuver in that. You're always having to watch your altimeter to make sure you're not about to crash into the ground. And there's just all these, and, and it seems really in that sort of basic, you have to watch your fuel. Fuel is like the most important thing. The way you get fuel again is you have to find pilots that have already crashed. And you have to go, and you can find them on the radar, and you can find them, you got to go towards them. And when you, you get close enough, you get to land. Because the idea is, the reason why everything looks like fractals and all of that is because the, well, because of the technology. But <laughs> uh, is the way they did it in the narrative of it is because the atmosphere is so thick with this poisonous gas that that's just kind of like how you, so you see have to stay things. in your ship at all times kind of thing yeah you have to stay in your ship at all times and what happens is it kind of like turns into this thing so you find these pilots and uh these they're in their crash ship and you've got to land close enough because they they can't be out in the air for like more than a minute i believe is what the time was so uh you you land near them and um you'll see this uh little like very crude but at the time totally believable uh like pilot come running out to you you'll, you'll see his helmet and it'll be like a white helmet and uh like a space helmet and they run towards the uh towards the craft and there's like a little bit of a dip before they get in and then um you'll hear because the, the audio was really good on the Atari 800XL. For the time, it had really... Now you'd be like, I, this sounds like a calculator. But at the time, <laughs> it was actually incredible. You would hear knocking, like knocking at the back door. You, you had to turn off your shields and you had to turn off your engine. Because if you kept their engine on, you'd catch the pilot on fire or destroy them. If you left the shields up, they wouldn't be able to get in. So you had to turn the, turn the shields off. So they would come running up. And then you'd hear the banging on the door. If you, for some reason, were a cruel, cruel bastard, you could just not open the door um, in the back. Um, and then the knocking would get less and less frequent. <laughs> and then would just stop. Wow. Which is, is pretty devastating. That's pretty dark um, for like a 1984 game. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. There's kind of like this really incredible embedded narrative in there. There's a, enough stuff here to make you really feel something. But this is also the first scary jump scare game. Mm. Um, and I found out because uh, this was developed by the the develop the designer for this was uh, David Fox, who went on to make you know great games at uh, LucasArts. Uh, worked on Maniac Mansion and mm. Labyrinth and a bunch of other ones. 
Um, and actually most recently worked with Ron Gilbert on Thimbleweed. Oh, nice. Um, okay. So still, still going strong. One of my heroes, uh, amazing guy. Um, but, uh, George Lucas, who is a big gamer, uh, has, you know, is playing like an early demo. He's like, what if it wasn't always a pilot? <laughs> what if the, ja- what if the Jaggies had learned how to be, uh, you know, how, learned how to mimic the the astronauts, and mm. that's their way of tricking. So it's like the thing, ship. almost in a sense. <laughs> yeah. So you'll see, and at the beginning part of the game, you know whether it's an astronaut or if it's an alien because you can tell by the helmet, but you don't know that first time. So, like I said, there's a little dip. So there's a point where the astronaut kind of, or like the the pilot kind of disappears, mm-hmm. and then there's like a couple of seconds where you don't know if you're going to hear a bang at the door. Or if all of a sudden this alien jumps up on your windshield and throws itself and starts trying to break your windshield. If that happens, you have to turn on your shields really quick so you can um, destroy them because it's like energy shields. Right. Um, If you look at and I encourage everybody to look at this, but look at it through the eyes of a seven or eight year old in night in the in the (laughs) mid 80s. Right. And um, and realize because uh, it looks ludicrous now. It's an absolutely ludicrous looking alien. It's totally mm-hmm. goofy, but it was terrifying. Those couple of seconds of anticipation and then not knowing whether you're going to hear that knock or all of a sudden this alien was just going to throw itself at the windshield like you would have no idea <laughs> was really legitimately very, very scary. The jump scares yeah. were 100 percent real. Uh, absolutely. This incredible moment. Um and uh, just, just, just really, really fantastic. And then also, as you play through the game, and this part was fantastic, the Jaggies learn how to impersonate the pilots better. So like I said at the beginning, you know it's an alien because they have a green helmet instead of a white helmet. As the game moves on, they all have white helmets. <laughs> They're you learning. Just, you can't tell. <laughs> right, yeah, so you have to just wait for that moment and have your finger on the shield button, but you can't, like, if you hear the knocking and press the shield button, you're going to kill your friend. Right. So you got to, like, you got to do all this stuff. And it's just this incredible game that just had it. And um, like I said, uh, David Fox, the designer of it, huge. I could not be a bigger fan. Uh, I've I, I thanked him several times on Twitter for being the inspiration for wanting to join this. And he was like... Um, a couple years back, he was like, Hey, uh, did you ever see the marketing video we did for this? Oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, no, I absolutely did not. And he sent me a link to YouTube. I swear to God, there was like a hundred views on this. Like nobody had really (laughs) seen this. And it was a a shame because it's one of the, like nobody had done cinematic trailers for video games at the time because largely they were so basic, right? There was like, why would you do that? So this one, they had Lucas, they had like <laughs> Lucas film at their hands. So there's like full voice acting over the top of it. They're like, all right, we're going in. This is the thing that they need to say. Like, you, like, they, they, like full voice actors talk about it. It's like, oh yeah, now they need us. And you hear, they're showing footage of the game, but you're hearing full voice acting going on over it. Of course, that's not in the game. Um, it's just meant to, you know, really bring you into the world of this. Fox leader to command, standing by to launch. Initiate main engine sequence. Engines engaged, sir. Now entering launch tube. Confirming, Commander, that there's a belly full of defensive mega ether bombs on board this old Valkyrie fighter. Negative, Fox leader. Had to make room so you guys could pick up pilots. 
Nearly stripped it down the mirror nuts and titanium bolts. I'm hitting atmosphere and now you tell me? How in the hell do you expect cool me to get your this? your heels, Ace Case. We've left your antimatter bubble torpedoes, but that's it. The weapons department, you and your AMBs against the Jaggies. It's one of the most amazing video, like, especially when, if you think of it in the context of the time, because now, of course, everybody does that, right? right? That's what E3 is. This is before E3 ever existed. This is just Lucasfilm putting on a press conference being like, yep, we do video games now. <laughs> and then they're throwing this out. And it's and um, David was like, yeah, they we had we had access to the entire like Lucasfilm production qualities. It's crazy. That's nice. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think in a way, because, you know, I, I work more on the marketing side than than the design side now. Um, I think that kind of inspires me, too. So e even that, like, just just um, it's 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 really impressive what they pulled off and it's really stuck with me to this day i mean i i, I know i only play like a little bit of the uh, apple II version of this game which is why like mm -hmm. when you when you mention the name i'm like i've heard that name before when i looked it up it's like oh yeah this game like i i think i only played it like i don't know maybe for like 20 minutes or something maybe as a kid mm -hmm. or something like it's just like that <laughs> image of seeing like the alien because i think once i saw like the green alien is like banging on your like your, your windshield stuff i'm like nope <laughs> <laughs> not not because <playing> <laughs> right, like it really is scary for like a game back then like when you're a kid and you're like you know not used to seeing like i guess like scary imagery or whatever uh th yeah. th that was like a scary thing it was kind of like equivalent almost like to uh to, you know to playing like the original doom in a lot of ways like if you play it now it's not necessarily scary like you know it, it can still be scary but back then it was just like oh my god this is like super freaking scary it's gonna shit my pants you know it's just crazy yeah. <laughs> or yeah or even like the like resident evil, like the like the resident evil, let's you let's go back to resident evil 2 there you go the first time i played resident evil <laughs> two on playstation when you're first going down that hallway probably in the first 20 25 minutes of the game and the zombie jumps through the window at you oh the zombie dogs you mean or oh yeah 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 right that when you're going down that hallway or the first time you see the the uh the tongue guy yeah the liquors and you're like <laughs> and the first time you see that you're like what no <laughs> big nope um, <laughs> that's, yeah, a, that's, a, that's a big nope <laughs> So, and the, I mean, this legitimately, it has that, it has that, because fear is about anticipation, about knowing something's going to happen, but not knowing when or how, what's going to happen, mm. but knowing that something's going to happen. And it plays with that, that almost cinematic concept of anticipation. And then, you know, you either hear that knocking and you got to let somebody in or the alien. And now here's the thing. If the alien, you can accidentally let the alien in. Oh, yeah. And then you just start losing fuel. You start losing points. You just you just start going. It's it's <laughs> it's crazy. Like the it's it's such a well-built game, man. So it, it, like, honestly, if you make that mistake, there should be like a chance of you turning into that alien. And so now the roles are reversed and you have to go after other pilots who come in. <laughs> that would be incredible. Oh, I would play that game. <laughs> the sad thing here is that a lot of people aren't going to experience something like that, but they do have something like similar in terms of like unnervingness with the original Dead Space. Because I remember playing the hell out mm, of this yes. and be like, okay, I'm going to die somewhere. Uh, oh, okay, this little dude's going to rip my head off and take over my body. Or, oh, this this little fan <laughs> is going to cut me into pieces. <laughs> oh, fun. You know, there's like so many ways you could die in that. Like people have their experiences with that. Yeah. And not even recalling this 84. I mean, I've never heard of it. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm curious now. I want to track it down and see if I can play it. Yeah, I would love to see if somebody did like a fan uh, fan reboot or something mm -hmm. like that, where they you know just did something together. But um, by the same token, like I'm uh, I'm hoping maybe uh, maybe Pax East go up to my mom's house because uh, she's in Massachusetts. I've kind of wondering if I could maybe go up to her house because I know she still has the 800 XL, mm. the Atari 800 XL in the side mm. attic, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm kind of wanting to grab that and maybe toss it in and, and play it on the original equipment again. Cause it's just, it's just one of the, I, th- I feel like it would be a magic moment. I feel like <laughs> I would have that. Like, I feel like, uh, like Tom Hanks and big or something. Yeah. Like that. You should make it like a Twitch stream. All, all, all like, like honestly, in that case, it'd be like first ever Twitch stream of rescue on fractals. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'll probably start crying. Like I'll probably just start weeping from the beauty of it all. Cause like it, I can't, I can't even tell you how much, how much it means to me it really yeah. does that's amazing i, got, I had really like cool. three games that kind of like you know had an impact on me when i was a kid moving up into a teen um if, if you don't guys don't mind me taking my turn i, mean, I just didn't know oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. go for it yeah, first for one it. was tempest uh this is a 1980 shooter by yes. atari and this this game i was like oh shit they're gonna get me they're gonna get me super zap what do you mean i don't have super zapper what the hell is going on what do you mean i used it this way? you know so you're like flinging around the knob and everything like that and i was reminded of that because uh new wave toys they just released their mini Tempest arcade cabinet. They made Centipede a few months ago, and now they have a Tempest one. Uh, and they sent me one to check out, which was really cool. Um, the reaction time's a little bit off because, like, you know, you can't do the whole spinny dial thing you, like you could with the arcade game. But it's still a faithful recreation. So I, I thought it was a really cool game. But when I was playing as a kid, I was freaking out. I was like, no, 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 don't let me get no, Wait, I don't want to die in the spike. Don't let me ever get impaled on the spikes. You know, I was, ta- I was talking <laughs> in my own head about, like, you know, not dying. But it was just an amazing game. It was a different kind of shooter that came out at the time, and I really enjoyed it. And then um, another game that kind of freaked me out but really got me more in, like, hardcore shooters style like that is Sinistar. Mm. which came out in 1983 Ryan i don't Howard. think any exactly <laughs> exactly you know nah, i hung beware i, I hung yeah. <laughs> yeah right and, and it was really great because it was relentless like you know you had all these guys that were coming at you that cannons that were shooting at you, you thought okay well i could just take care of this clean house and i'll be here beware i live yeah <laughs> this big ass dude you know the roar was something else man it was crazy oh no 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 when he caught you in the roar and your ship spinning out of control <laughs> you have no- and then all of a sudden you explode that freaked me out yep. but it also it also i think along with tempest just really brought me into this era of like okay i gotta avoid the fuck out of this guy till i can find some bombs <laughs> yep. and eat some serious bomb material that would really do the trick that was the first game i ever hacked Oh, really? Uh, Sinistar. Because I remember going, we, our local bowling alley had a Sinistar in the back. Um, the Not the good bowling alley, the the the, the bowling alley that you would stick to the walls from the nicotine. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, like, the, uh, and we had, where the ashtrays were built into the oh, chairs. Yeah, the everything was an ashtray. Everything was an ashtray. And they had a and they had a Sinistar machine, and I had found out, because this is so weird, because this is before the internet, obviously, so I don't even know how I found out about it, but I found out about the bug um, that was in it that could give you, like, basically infinite lives. I remember 255 this. lives. That's the one. Exactly. And I remember yeah. doing that and finding out about it and feeling like I was breaking the law. <laughs> like, you know, just break the line. like no 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 and just finding that be like oh my god this is incredible i guess that's not really hacking that's more like exploiting but uh yeah yeah, yeah. But, i mean first time you know to like discover that and buy and buy yourself too like that that's like incredible though yeah. yeah i don't know i don't even know how i must have heard it from like a friend or maybe read it in like an early game magazine or something like that but yeah yeah, mm. yeah. that's awesome that's awesome um anything else there robert or um, yeah, there was one other game, but I, but I wanted to go back to Sinistar real quick, because yeah. I think it was just a matter of, like, just the way that the game sucked you in with fear, but at the same time made things a lot more intense. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the reasons I really got into it. And plus, the voice was really well done. So Let's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then we come to Battletoads. Yes. Of course. <laughs> now, we talk... 
we talk about Battletoads a lot. I know I was talking about getting a Battletoads tattoo. I know if you go to my Twitter page, there's a Battletoads on it. But there's a <laughs> reason for this. And uh, it, it's a little personal, but I, what the hell, I'll just tell the story here. Um, so Battletoads came out in 1991, June 1991, right? And it came out at a time that my father was kind of going through some health stuff. He, he had a brain aneurysm that could have killed him. But it didn't. And, you know, he was still around and everything. And, you know, he was still recovering from it. He, he was able to survive. He was able to, like, you know, get some surgery. And, and you know, he was around for my – that was the year of my high school graduation. And I don't know. There was just something in my head making me feel like, you know, what can I turn to here with all this stress? Because it, it really was eating me alive. I barely graduated high school because I was so worried about everything that was going down and everything. And that game, you know, I turned to it, and it was difficult. It was incredibly difficult. It is one of the hardest games ever made. There's even a documentary that talks about how it's one of the hardest games ever made. But it was a game that, you know, I devoted myself to, to get through. Because, that, I mean, the thing, it reminded me, like, you know, life's going to have these hardships. You can either relent or you can get through them. And, you know, with that, I really learned a great lesson while at the same time discovering literally one of my favorite games of all time. And I think that's something that once I finally beat it, it took ages, but once I finally beat it and everything from the from the Stamper twins, uh, or mm-hmm. Stamper brothers rather, um, it just really set me on this journey to to show better appreciation for games. You know, and that summer was a great summer for games. You know, we we had like a number of different titles that came out from Sega. We were just starting to get the Super Nintendo to catch up to speed. Uh, the whole year was just really something, and you know, Battletoads was one of those games that just came along at the time, then really challenged me and just pushed me you know and ever since i've, I've shown great appreciation for it I, I talk about it like a bandit and some people are like well you just shut up about <laughs> I, I have my reasons that's why i'm gonna get a tattoo nice. that's why i'm gonna you know talk about it probably during a panel of paxis and everybody's gonna head for the doors <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i'm excited for the upcoming xbox one game so you know um i didn't mean to go too personal there it's just a matter of yeah, no. sometimes you're, you're going to run into these things that remind you of something that happens in life or something that just comes along at the time when you really need it and that game just taught me something really cool and you know i still enjoy playing it like with the rare replay thing on xbox one and you know i still have you know the sega genesis cartridge i still have the nes cartridge and i don't know you know it's just something that sticks in my head you know it, it's sort of like um my parents got divorced in 83, so I have this big significance with Return of the Jedi. I watched it like 20 times back in 83, and I still watch it every once in a while just to remind me how good times used to be. You know, so mm. it's, it goes back. You know, it's just something that sticks in your head. Yeah. Um, so anyway, my little personal story there, but that's kind of a game that helped push me into the person I am today. So I figure, yeah, I'll get a Battletoads tattoo and be single forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, like, it, I, I think I think what's great about that story, honestly, is is you know what, what you mentioned at the beginning of like with you know with like Battletoads, uh, with it you know no you know being known for being like one of the hardest games out there, like you know to you know to get through from from beginning to end, um, and also kind of being um, I don't know what the term is like an allegory, I guess, to like the life mm-hmm. struggles that you were dealing with, and um, you know that that kind of being like a way for you to overcome something and kind of help you overcome uh you know the stuff that's happening in, in your you know in, in your real life that you're experiencing at that time um kind of like be uh i don't know just kind of be like a side to side like kind of comparison to that i guess in that sense so it's, it's really cool that uh you know that, you know they had that in that case yeah i mean it's just something i like to look back upon and i don't know just part of me still reflects with it i mean 
I, I will try to talk about more games at PAX, okay? I promise. But <laughs> there's just something about me that, that appreciates Battletoads. Of course, of course, yeah. What uh, about you, Dare David? What's your story? Uh, so let's see. I have a few games here. Um, I have three games here, actually, I'll mention. Uh, so first off is The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, uh, which is my second favorite game of all time. Um, so this is the game, actually, that first kind of got me into writing, actually, believe it or not. Because... Um, the like what like like basically like i was just like so enamored with this game as a kid that uh you know i was was, like in summer camp i remember at the time and there was like a newspaper there and i wasn't like really thinking about you know being a part of it or whatever but um someone like approached me i think who was like working on it like asking me if i you know if i wanted to be like a part of it and what i would like write about and so i just kind of started talking about like the legend of zelda link to the past and like how i was like oh my god like it has this amazing story like mind-bending story like i I never saw any game like ever before like have like a story (laughs) like this and uh, i was just like completely like obsessed with it so they like basically they asked me like if i could like summarize a story in like a digestible like you know column like a piece basically uh, so that's basically what I did. So I, I basically kind of like did like almost like this abridged version of the, you know, of, of the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past story uh, for like a summer camp newspaper column. And my mom actually still has like a copy of that newspaper um, wow. like, like from, from back then, which is kind of wild. Yeah. She was like kind of pulling up like all these like old photos. And then she had this like photocopied version of like the column, basically. And I was reading through it. It was just like, oh, wow, like this is crazy. Like it's kind of like seeing how my writing was back then. And this is like basically the first thing I like wrote for people to publicly read, basically. Um, it was just uh, it was just nuts to kind of see that. Um, aside from that, too, there's uh, Street Fighter 2, uh, which basically was, like, the first game which kind of gave me that rush of competitive play, <laughs> really, to kind of play against people. And um, I, I, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. But um, there was uh, the Sears, which is near me. I think it was, like, in, the, in like, the Dead of Mall, like, just kind of close by to me at the time. And um, I remember seeing, like, uh, there was, like, the SNES, like, kiosk kind of set up. So I didn't even, like, first see this game in the arcades. I saw, like, an SNES kiosk in Sears. And uh, just, like, a bunch of kids just, like, kind of crowded around it, kind of playing it. I didn't even see what the game was, so I had to kind of get in close and shuffle around in there. And I saw, you know, just, like, these two people just beating the hell out of each other. And, like, and I was just like, wow, this game just looks amazing. And I was kind of, like, you know, following, like, what was going on, the action, kind of, like, you know, looking at, like, the controls, like, as moves were being done. And I was kind of picking up on what they were doing in order to do, like, you know, Hadoukens and Dragon Punches and things like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I kind of, like, took my turn. I kind of played. I, you know, I played, like, a few times, like, doing that. And then I had to pick it up on Street Fighter. You know, I had to pick it up on uh, on Super Nintendo. And, um, yeah, I've been, like, a big Street Fighter fan, like, ever since. Like, I've certainly kind of dropped off quite a bit, like, you know, more recent memory. But, um, like, for me, like, Street Fighter and fighting games in general, that was, like, a big reason why I loved them was, like, from that moment, uh, seeing it there at that Sears kiosk. And, um, uh, you know, of course, I have to mention, too, with my favorite game of all time, Chrono Trigger. Um, So this is like the first game where I feel like I had like a big emotional resonance with me Um, with it just kind of like, you know, with the way that the characters were and like how they interacted with each other. The fact that dealt with like time travel, which I was just kind of like a big sucker for. I'm still a big sucker for anything like time travel related, um, uh, just like in stories and stuff. Um, but I think like the, the big moment for me, like in this game was, um, when you can have Robo, uh, like the character Robo stay in, uh, I think it was like the church area. I I forget exactly which area it was, but it was kind of like the middle of the map. I remember it's 600 AD and, uh, you could have him regrow the forest, um, Mm. you know, there. 
And um, when you go forward in time to 1000 AD, you see the forest is now like grown like in that kind of like desert area, basically. And uh, you find him all kind of like broken down and stuff. But like, you know, you, you like reactivate him and he's, you know, he just kind of like remembers you and like all the stuff. And it's just like very kind of like touching reunion. And um, I can't remember, but I think maybe that's what kicks off the, uh, <clears throat> as I'm like losing my voice, I think that's what like kicks off the, um, that whole scene, like with the campfire with all the characters together. I think, um, I could be wrong, but like, I, like I'm pretty sure that that's what happens. But it was just like an amazing scene. It's an amazing game, like amazing music. Like every time I hear the music, I just you know I instantly kind of like get like that emotional kind of pit in my stomach. It's like, oh yeah, it just really hits you right there. So um, yeah, so I, I have to mention that. And um, we have plenty of listener responses here as well. We had a lot of good ones, so I had to really narrow this down since uh, you know obviously I didn't want to spend like all episode on it. But uh, these are like you know kind of the top ones I had to mention here. Uh, starting off with Hawkins Hudson who says, Age of Empires started my love of history. Morrowind gave me a new sense of adventure and became a connection with me and my dad. So another like kind of family connection there, like through video games. Uh, Tim Carter, who says, Super Mario Brothers 3, since it was my first foray into video games when I was five. Ocarina of Time was such a huge scale, um, huge scale adventure and it helped cement my love of fantasy. Dragon Quest Eight made me a Dragon Quest fanboy for life, and who doesn't Akira Toriyama? Uh, who doesn't love Akira Toriyama's art? And uh, StarCraft was my first online game on a dial-up modem, and it still plays like a dream to this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, Robert Russell, who says Final Fantasy VII. I was never into RPGs before. After my parents replaced my PS1 when it was stolen, I didn't want one of the games, so I returned it to Media Play, old, I know, and asked the clerk what they, uh, what they recommend. Uh, he pulled out Final Fantasy VII. My cousin played 2 and 3 on the SNES, but they never interested me. Uh, but I took a shot with 7, popped it in, and was hooked. Now RPGs are among my top game types. So it's pretty neat there. I know Final Fantasy VII was kind of like a big like game changer as far as like converting people into RPG fanatics Like after that game came out. Uh, there's also Cassandra Matic, who says, after actively listening to Final Fantasy X after playing through it, it made me question Christianity and religion and how others adhere to its message. Now, I'm not as familiar with Final Fantasy, uh, with Final Fantasy X as I am with like, the older games, so Sean, I, I, was, I wasn't sure if you can maybe like, uh, you know, like shed some light maybe on that. I don't know if you, play, if you played it at all. Final Fantasy X? Yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked Final Fantasy X. It got a little bit uh, strange towards the end. Um, but the, I'm actually, I'm actually a really big proponent of Final Fantasy X2. Mm, okay. Um, uh, That's like the I, all, all, like the all girl group one, right? Yeah. Which is really about trying to find the main character from the first one until it just isn't anymore. And that's kind of forgotten. And it's really, I like the, <laughs> the way that they do the job classes is by changing your outfits and oh, okay. there's like a real sort of like, yeah, find this, these clothes. And then you could do that and you could be this. And it's really, there's a, there's, it's, it's just a, the mechanics for it are very interesting, but yeah, ten ten got into some really kind of like emotional stuff. It got it got it got pretty intense. I mean, all of those Final Fantasies in that era kind of uh, got intense, but yeah, Final Fantasy ten was um, yeah pretty 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 incredible. It had a weird had a an underwater water polo. I remember that. Game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cutscenes in that were were pretty incredible. Kind of made you wish that that game like actually existed, like as like an actual sport. You know? I would absolutely <laughs> have played a straight up spin off of just that. <laughs> right? Yeah. <no. laughs> uh, and then there's Anthony Scats who says there's a Braid clone, uh, you know, Braid the game, mm-hmm. uh, called In Between that is playing out the death of someone via cancer and going through his life using the Kubler Ross stages of grief as puzzle Ooh. elements, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which just 
blew my mind when I first read that. I was like, I never heard of this game, but now I gotta check this out. So that's that, intense, that, yeah. So, so definitely want to check out In Between is the yeah. name of the game. Uh, there's also Kyrie Misk Core who says Zelda Majora's Mask. People sometimes hide behind the mask because they are ashamed of, the, of themselves or afraid that people will hate them for being their true self. Mm. The only way to remove a mask is through healing and friendship. So mm. yeah, I, thought that, I thought that was pretty touching there. Mm. Um, and also RJ Morrison, who says Street Fighter 2, uh, hometown skating rink, something I had never seen before caught my ear. A crowd around a, <laughs> a crowd around, like he really, really kind of sets the scenario here. A crowd around a video game. Players were in a heated battle, each one performing hidden secret moves that gave them an unparalleled edge. Seemingly perfect timing that prevented your opponent from reacting to the next move, allowing you to attack twice in succession, oftentimes more. The crowd was exploding with cheers and yells. These guys weren't just pressing buttons. They knew what they were doing. They understood what could not be seen. They were gods in my five-year-old eyes, and I wanted that too. I wanted that feeling so bad. 27 years later, and I still play. So I, th- I thought that was like pretty cool. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all the listener responses there, at least like the best ones there. But yeah, like, a lot of people kind of like gave like very kind of simple like kind of questions or like simple like responses to that. But I had to kind of, you know, really bubble those ones up because uh, I thought those ones really resonated. So thanks to everyone who uh, shared their responses there. It's really, really cool. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much the main topic right there. So Robert, uh, I believe you have a game code to give away. Yes, sir. Uh, I have game code to give away here for Steam called Re-Legion. Uh, this is a game that is from uh, the 1C company here. And uh, it's a top-down isometric real t- or real-time strategy game where players take on the role of a prophet in an oppressive, uh, oppressive technocratic society. In the role of the prophet Elion, a strong leader who promises to rid the world of misery, players can define their own belief system and convert citizens into cultists. As mm. Elion increases his power, he turns non-believers into his followers, introducing a very different resource management system where the conversion of ordinary people drives the players' rise to dominance. So there you go. Nice. If you're on the way, everyone did your old cold. Here, here you go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's the code for Steam. It is FQ0LF. 6RT00K8JNT. That is, once again, for Religion on Steam. Enjoy. Almost a take on Religion, if you will. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> Choose your character. That's going to lead us now to the part of the show called Random Select. So this is a yes or no 15 question game to guess which video game character that I am this week. Uh, so basically it's going to be Sean and Robert acting as a team to ask yes or no questions to guess which video game character that I am. Uh, if after five questions that you don't get it, then I'll give the first hint. After 10, I'll give the second hint. And if after 15 questions that you don't get it, then it's game over, as Raul Julia would say. So <laughs> whenever you guys are ready, you can start with the first yes or no question. I'll let you go first, Sean. Uh, do you wear clothes? <laughs> yes. Wow. It's a good question, though. It's like you know, it could be like one of those like anthropomorphic animal characters that don't yeah. wear clothes, I guess. But a lot of them do, I guess, nowadays. So. Nowadays, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new age. We're going retro. I mean, there's tons of... ah, pants. <laughs> Who needs pants? <laughs> okay. Did you make your debut on a Nintendo console? Hmm. No. Okay. Are you a man? Yes. Okay. Let's see. Are you in the Final Fantasy series? No. Okay. Where are how that okay, let's see. Uh I am yeah. Okay, let's see. Um I edited this too, so you know, don't have to worry about wasting time or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it all in. Make it real painful. <laughs> yeah. Make make the listeners wait with we us. We gotta hear the struggle. We gotta hear the struggle. <laughs> the struggle is real. Yeah. Um 
Let's see. Uh, are you in a uh, M-rated game? Yes. So that's five right there. And my first hint is it's easy to get hooked on me. Oh, are you Cabal from Mortal Kombat? Yes, I am. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, yeah. This kind of like a last minute like one that I kind of had to put together. It's like, oh crap, I have random select. Uh, come on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because we only did reptile a couple of weeks ago. Exactly. So we were... Yeah, and I have, I have like Mortal Kombat on the brain like like lately too. So it's yeah. like, ah, do, do do Cabal right there. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. You guys got What's the second clue? What's the second clue? Uh, second clue was uh, think fast or I'll take you for a spin. So, oh wow! Yeah, wow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Probably would have got there, but yeah, the um, the like reptile one from from like before that, that like I thought that was like a really good one uh, with the uh, hints I was able to kind of put together with that one. But um, and you were able to get that too, like on the very last question too. Which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Not, not bad. I've, I've got I've got skill. I've got skill. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, Sean, where can people go like to find you online? Um, I'm um, Sean Pye notices you. Oh wait, what am I on? Twitter. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, you're, sure you're, I even know name, what you're man. on for Twitter. Come on. Um, I'm, pre- I, I'm pretty sure you're you're, you're Sean the Baptiste. Right? I am Sean the Baptiste. That is That's correct. Right. <laughs> I am Sean the Baptiste. I could never remember because I, I it's been Sean Pye notices you for so long, but that's just my display name. But yeah, this display Sean name, yeah. the Baptiste. <laughs> That's S E A N, and my last name is Baptist with an E on the end of it, and then just put a the in the middle of. It. You'll find me. Soon to be Sean the Carnov. So that's, that's right. right. Sean <laughs> Carnov the Baptist. Yeah, and, that's yeah. right. And one last thing before we close out here, I did want to let you guys know I am no longer with ComicBook.com. Uh, I want to thank them for the two something years that I've been with them, but I am looking into new opportunities. So if any of you listeners out there know of anybody who is looking for community work or writing work, please definitely hit us up here at our cast i am definitely interested in listening also uh with my loss of job i somehow lost a lot of my giveaway codes so i'm trying to recover them as quickly as possible so i'm trying to get those back so if i don't have too many social giveaways at the moment i'm sorry i'm kind of working on it but i assure you we will get back to that level soon enough because i know we're still trying to build up for our uh, patreon there we are still working on trying to get some content going for that so if you want to learn more go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash artcast i believe it is there yep that's what it is and uh, yeah, we've actually been talking with a few people. We might be doing like a, a guest um, podcast here too, where everybody just sits around and bullshits and talks about game for an hour. Boy, it's a novel <laughs> idea, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, kudos to our one guy that's following us so far, of course. And uh, we're going to get more as we go along. So yes, thank you for you guys for your support. Indeed, indeed. And if you want to follow the ArcCast on Twitter, we are at ArcPodcast. Same thing for Facebook. We're at Facebook.com slash ArcPodcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at the Guilty Man. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at twitter.com slash the DCD. And while you're checking out cool gamer stuff, please be sure to check our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers, at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by our good friend, Leanna Ruppert, where her and the team gives fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. And if you'd like to send us any feedbacks, opinions, retro games, topics for us to cover, what you want us to do at PAX East, uh, job offers, whatever, anything at all, really, you can email us at ardcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to also check out retrozap.com for all sorts of amazing podcasts, especially the Star Wars variety. We have this flagship show, Brews and Blasters, along with Kanata's Castle, and Starship Sabers and Scoundrels. There's also Beltway Bontheth for those of you who are two minds with Star Wars and politics. That might be the show for you. There's also the Animaniac cast if you're an Animaniacs fan, the Deuce cast for all you movie buffs out there, and the Techno Retro Dads if you're into a variety of old school stuff, just like us. And there's also us with our cast, so be sure to find us on iTunes, subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify, so you have absolutely no reason to not listen to the Artcast. And yeah, that is episode number 148 in the books. Until next time, keep 
keep it retro and Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Watch out for those aliens banging on your windshield. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Why is they're not looking like to wash your car? I, I can assure you of that. So. <laughs> that's definitely true. Knock three times if you're still there. Why aren't you knocking? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and one more little reminder here, folks. We're also going to have an Archivist Mini coming up here in which I have got interviews with teams behind uh, Mortal Kombat as well as Dead or Alive 6 and The Division 2, which we'll be talking about more in detail soon enough after the beta this week. So yep. We'll see you guys next week or during that episode. Indeed. Catch you guys later. Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. And we host the Pretty OK Gamers Podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. No. Who are you again? I'm Justin, and we're we're (laughs) rather okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya.